Welcome to the Arena Deckless Podcast. I'm Jerry Thompson, joined by Brian Gottlieb. And we're, we're talking about Pioneer today, Brian. People have spoken. No, they people, didn't. No, I mean they a, didn't. A small handful of people. Look, if you want, if you want to know the most common feedback I got about last week's show, it was do the Pioneer episode. I want to hear you guys talk about Pioneer. I also got a lot of feedback that people love when we do the deck dumps, which Same. is weird to me because like you can't see the deck list. Yeah, and like I'm, we don't phone anything in. You always get our insight, our opinion, but the deck dumps are like just taking someone else's stuff, right, and giving our opinion on it. So I guess they're like the reaction video of podcast content. Oh, and- no. When you put it like that, I just hate I hate that show now. I know, but people love it. They, so many people are like, these are my favorite episodes. So we're doing it again, back-to-back okay. back weeks. Okay, so the next modern deck dump – or I guess even this one, it could just be Jerry and Bar- Brian react, react to Pioneer metagame. You will not believe blah, blah, blah. You know, just kill me now. Get it over. I'll, I'll leave you in charge of the title that week so you can make sure to get uh, maximum clickbait. I'm just saying we it. could do it this week. You know, four people said they wanted to hear about Pioneer, but I- I'm going to be honest. What the hell else should we be talking about? Don't know. I, I don't know how I would answer that. You know, played a few games of Magic here and there. I don't have any insight for you. There is like some spot tournament showing up on Melee that I don't know. There's there's no kind of like community focus like we said would happen. And if anything, Pioneer is having a, a brief like it seems to be the thing that the consciousness is turned towards at this moment only because there's an announcement of potential Pioneer tournaments. I I'm so skeptical that any of these are going to happen, but. You know, if they do, that's the reason people care about Pioneer. But also, I, I think just a lot of people do love this format and are upset with the way it's been treated and think maybe we have the possibility to influence that a little bit. So if that's true, I'm happy to lend our podcast time to propping up the Pioneer tournament a little bit. Well, okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna do my best here to try and do that, right? So mm-hmm. Pioneer for starters, much cheaper than modern. Yes. Top, tops out at like $400 a deck. And if you have any semblance of modern cards or just bad standard cards, like a good common uncommon collection, I think you're pretty well set for Pioneer. You have a lot of the stuff and you probably won't have to buy too much more. Now, if you're talking about playing on Magic Online, I'm looking at some of the prices for decks and it's like 150 tickets per deck. And it like the same thing applies, right? Yeah, very affordable in both paper and online. And I mean, I'm going to take that aspect of it a bit further. This should be the default paper format. Standard as a paper format doesn't need to exist. I'm done with it. I don't think it serves any purpose. I think this should be what the FNMs are built around. What like when you're onboarding as a new player, it should be in the pioneer space. Not only because I think the non-rotational nature of it is very, very good, but from just a nuts and bolts perspective, this is the purest, best form of magic being played right now. And it's been like that for a while because I taught my wife how to play magic about two years ago now. I used the Pioneer format because it was by far so much closer to just a real traditional game of magic, attacking, blocking, some combo, all, all the flavors really well represented. There's removal spells, there's back and forth. So just a really, really strong format. I don't know how much of it is timing. Like Pioneer obviously came along at a really weird time. I don't know how much of it is just bad luck, but this format could have been so much more. Maybe it still can be. Maybe there's still a chance. 
Tell you what, I think a lot of it is Wizards not giving a shit. I will put blame there for sure. For sure. I mean, there's so many things you could have done with this. And, well, we don't need to talk about missed opportunities again. No. Because we do that often enough. But there, there's something here still. Still, if someone wants to seize on it, there is opportunity to do so. I, I had a thing happen to me the other day that made me think about a missed opportunity that is, like, probably not super public or whatever. So I'm not going to get into it. But it just made me, like, seething mad for, like, 30 minutes. Magic related. Yeah. Something you wanted to do in the magic space. Something like that. Sure. Okay. And okay. yeah, I just like, you want to talk about missed opportunities, man. I'll give you an earful. Uh, we, we, our, our entire business endeavor has a couple years straight of some missed opportunities rolled into it. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, uh, I did play some magic too. I wrote an article about the Cobblade deck that we talked about last week. Exciting news. The, the modern Cobblade deck, of yeah. course. And how was it? Give us a, your your review. The deck or the article or both? I'll take both. Sure. Uh, I think my article went pretty well. I did mention in the article that there were a lot of things that I could have added to it, but I didn't because of length, mostly. Where you know I could I I, I very easily think that I could have shown a little bit more like personality of the deck and what the deck was about and maybe put the spotlight on that with like some screenshots, some keeper mall decisions, you know, and it's just cool stuff like that, that could give you a little bit more of an insight into like, well, I, this deck should be playing often instead of serum visions or whatever. Right. Mm-hmm. But yeah, playing, playing magic online was pretty fun. Got my deck pretty quick and easy from card hoarder. Shout out to them. If you want a rental service, Note to self, I still have to return the deck because I've had it up for a while. But it was fun, dude. Like, the, the games were fun. The deck is solidly tier 2, 2.5, okay. something yeah, like that. That's not bad for a modern deck, honestly. It's not, but, like, the deck was also really well built, and there wasn't a whole lot I wanted to change. And I think some of the choices were, like, very smart, very, uh, like, clearly tuned into the metagame and was, like, mm-hmm. trying to solve certain problems. But it was, like, just some of the problems that, decks like this have, you know, like when you, when you play Cobblade and Standard, Squadron Hawk and Stoneforge Mystic were really good at holding the ground yeah. in a lot of instances. And in, in modern, that's just not really the case. So if your opponent like does two things on a turn where you do one thing or one thing that doesn't matter, and they do that a couple of times, they get super far ahead of you and there's, you just have no comeback mechanism. Right. Mm. So that was, that was kind of the problem. And, uh, Having things like Spell Pierce and Squadron Hawk into Solitude, it, it did go a long way towards trying to solve some of those issues. So it's the deck is more viable than I thought it was, actually. That's cool. That, that's good news. I just had a thought when you were mentioning comeback mechanisms. And like I hear that phrase, and my thoughts immediately go to like sweeper effects. But sweeper effects are not comeback mechanisms anymore because of the ancillary value you get off of every single play you make. Yes. That sweeping the battlefield doesn't matter. So what would a comeback effect look like anymore? Are there comeback effects in magic anymore? Well, okay. So part of the problem is that you have your things like prismatic ending and like solitude type of stuff. And that helps you survive the early game. And then you have cards like Stoneforge Mystic, which are like pretty slow, are very unlikely to turn things around. You know, Squadron Hawk is certainly that and exacerbated. It's even worse. But 
it usually comes down to like a mid game of you being like on, you know, turn five, you're like, Oh, I need to like answer these three things or like accomplish some sort of task. And it's, it's not like Supreme verdict would necessarily save you. It's just like, Oh, I need to find like a prismatic ending and a solitude and like a counter spell or something. And it's just like, you, you have no, no way to actually do that. Right. Mm. It's like, you have to like play Jace brainstorm, you know, untap with it. And it's just like, come on. It's just not going to happen, right? Yeah. So I, I think a lot about why magic doesn't hit the same way right now in a lot of formats. And now I want to explore this this catch-up mechanism idea a little bit more. It feels like in some ways the way you catch up is you win the game. Like you just steal the initiative and you snowball as opposed to their snowball. Not, oh, I'm going to reset and come back around. So, so like Cobblade against Grixis Shadow. For example, I think that a lot of your threats are like pretty meaningless until you get to the late game and then like the small things start happening where it's like, I have a squadron hawk and a Moreland haunt, so your Ragavan can never connect, right? And like that cuts cuts off like one avenue of attack. Yep. But like in in the Grixis Death Shadow mirror match, it would be like expressive iteration into an unholy heat and cast a death shadow or something, right? And it's like after you got Croxa and like didn't have any cards in hand or something. Like th- yeah. that is the way that you come back is just by playing like three one mana spells out of nowhere, where obviously if you had those on like a turn previous, you probably wouldn't be as far behind as you were. And the the Cobblade deck, it doesn't have iteration or anything that's like a quick burst like that, uh, at least for things that matter. And it just means that you're like, wow, I wish I had nine mana so I could cast like three time ravelers and bounce three things or whatever. And it's like, right, on, right. you know, get that blood sun lotus field control going and maybe you can live that dream. Yeah, but then that's you're, you're kind of like digging your own grave by starting behind For by, sure. by playing with slow stuff like that. So yeah, it's, it is, it is interesting. I'm sure that I could uh, cobble together like a theory article about that, or at least talk in some degree as to like why shadow is good because it both like puts that pressure on people and does have ways to come back from situations like that. Whereas like this deck just doesn't, it's like, you're trying to interact one for one early and your cards have like a mana added to them compared to your opponents. So you're kind of screwed. All makes sense to me. Interesting stuff, but not what we're here for. Ultimately deck dump pioneer time format is good. I'm going to say that before I start describing these deck lists and you're just like, well, that doesn't seem fun or that seems silly or whatever. Format is good. No, I I agree. I I have said several times. I, I think pioneer is the best format going right now. It, we're going to see a lot represented here. And, uh, you know, there may be individual decks I don't like, but as far as a picture, I believe we're talking 20 decks in this deck dump. So that's decent participation. You know, it's not something like modern, but just just as we do it, look and see how much is covered, how many different things are going on. And not just like playing different cards, but trying to accomplish the same goals. There, there's really different game plans here. And it's right. cool to see. Yeah. So first up, the King 3603. Yorian Companioned Fires of Invention deck with bunch of enchantments. Raven's Warning. Okay, so why why is this enchantment based and not Planeswalker based, first of all? So there's there's Change of the Rocks, Omen of the Sea, Shark Typhoon, Birth of Miletus, Raven's Warning. I guess like to some degree, Yurian. Oh, okay. Transmogrify into Agent of Treachery, some Sweepers and some Darsets. Yeah, and... You know, it, it can be Planeswalker-based when it needs to out of the sideboard with the Raven's Warning. It, it does. It still does the Luka stuff, like, granted, at a, at a slower pace, but it has access to it. 
And I don't know. I, I, I like this setup more than just the older versions that were just, here's this thing, because that was really, really easy to metagame against. It sort of had its pace. You knew when it was going to do its thing. This deck has some curveballs to throw at you. It plays probably the best Planeswalker in the format in Narset. At least that's been my experience. I think it's so, so critical, uh, both as an offensive and defensive tool. So I'm happy to see that. The 80 card stuff, I mean, with this, it works, right? You know, we know how powerful it is to have access to Yorian on a Fires of Invention turn. Yes. We've done it before. And it's kind of shocking that it's still legal in Pioneer. It, if you would ask me, you know, two years ago when this format was being more widely played, does this stuff last? I probably would have leaned towards no. But here it is. And I, I don't even know if you would define this as like a tier one deck, honestly. It, you see it pop up from time to time but never dominant really maybe brief periods of like discussion of it being the best deck but it's so hard to tell with pioneer right because it doesn't really congeal into a shared experience it's really hard to put the your finger on the pulse of what is the best thing to be doing yeah also of note deck has a light splash for a Seeker's chariot so yeah i guess all the the enchantment type of stuff is just feeding into transmogrify into agent which is completely reasonable. I I like fires. Like I didn't like it in standard, but it has so much better setup tools in pioneer and Mm. plays out so fun because of that, because of like the cards that it has access to and is also just completely fair. Much closer to fair for sure. I mean, it's not so much fair as like, it's obviously doing the exact same thing. It's just everything surrounding it is on pace. Correct. Fair fair comparative. Yeah. Yeah. And the, the curve of, Fires into a Zika's chariot. That's a nice one. And it's not. It's not bad. Yeah, I'm glad we never had to live through that. But doing it in Pioneer, pretty appealing. Next up, AFX. This is a weird one. I, I went through a bunch of decks before the cast, and I kept seeing this Rakdos deck with Graveyard Trespasser, a card that I despise, uh, Bone Crusher Giant, uh, some Blood Tithe Harvesters, Bloodthirsty Adversaries. Uh, Chandra Torture Defiance, Soren the Mirthless. This one goes up to Liliana Death's Majesty. Go Blink Main, which is awesome. Yeah, love that. Just Rakdos mid-range with like three drop creatures. And I, I just hate it, man. You can sell me on the idea that Rakdos mid-range makes sense. I am I am willing to buy that because you have Thoughtseize in the format. You have things like Dreadhorde Arcanist, which incredibly powerful magic card, somehow not banned here, uh, and really doesn't see a ton of play. You know, spot play. We're going to see Dreadhorde stuff as we go through these lists. Lacking but, lacking better one drops, for sure. Well, I mean, like, if Fatal Push and Thoughtseize are really good in the format, then do you need a lot more? Like, you, you've already covered a lot of ground there in terms of playing a mid-range style of deck. But instead, this deck looking to do, like, three mana creatures and... Look, I love a Bone Crusher Giant. Incredible card. Still in this format, an incredible card. Blood Tithe Harvester. Okay. Like, I I believe in this card. It's got a good sized body. It has immediate impact, I guess, and the fact that it lets you filter right away. So, yeah, I I buy it. Then we get to Graveyard Trespasser, and I've never, ever understood this card. I I just don't really know what we're doing with it. I just hate it. It's, It's so mediocre. Like, I, I think people are playing this as like a Tarmogoyf, and I just, I don't think that it blocks very well. I don't think it blocks well. I think that people overvalue the ward, like individual card loss doesn't matter all that much in most of these decks. There's there's exceptions to that. When, for when sure. you're like go blanking people, it's a little bit better, right? Yeah, for sure. But, 
you know, there's two, there's two go blanks here. It's not like you're hard focused on this plan. And I think no, those two but, are important. But, but you're an attrition deck. So like it does contribute to that plan. I'm not saying it's good. I'm just saying like it, it is slightly better in this deck than in other decks. Here, here's the problem is like if you are an attrition deck, why can't you just play Croxa? Like is that really not a better approach for these black red decks? Is there not a setup you can use with that card that is way more advantageous? I would say yes. I mean, this this deck has one Croxa. Obviously, that is not a ton. I think you could maybe make an argument for like Arclight Phoenix being the best deck. Maybe Graveyard Hate is everywhere. So maybe you don't want to like lean into Croxa too much or whatever. But okay, I don't know. I, deck also has two Bloodthirsty Adversaries. So I don't know. Yeah. I, I think part of this is like uh, people are cognizant of the fact that Phoenix is incredibly good in the format. And we'll talk more about that. And they say, well, here's a threat that also answers Phoenix, but it doesn't answer Phoenix. Like, it really just doesn't matter all that much. No, what if the Phoenix is already in play, man? Yep. You have to <laughs> remove it, time it all right. So uh, I am also off this card, but people love it. I mean, there's huge fans of this card. I know. it's So I don't despise this card as much as Castle Vantress, but it's close. Nice. And I've, I've to- tried it. I was like, oh, everyone seems to be playing it. And I'm no, just I did like, too. This never in does standard, anything. But yeah, I, I played it in like Jund lists and standard, like treasure Jund stuff. And I was just like, why am I playing this? Yeah. Oh, well, I mean, especially in standard, there's like Briar, whatever, 4-3 that makes you a clue and mm-hmm. Reckless Storm Seeker. And it's just like, come on, what are you doing? Yeah, it was not better than any of those things. Anyway, next deck, Frank Will 14, Naya, Winota. Winota is curving into Tovalar's Huntmaster, and I guess Tovalar Dire Overlord is like not bad either. But uh, yeah, just Naya creatures and chariots. This this deck is so so powerful when it does its thing, and it it does it ahead of curve with the four Elvish Mystic. It has and Lanowar acceleration, elves. yeah, Lanowar Elves. So you get that redundancy. It has the answers because of Brutal Cathar now, where it's able to also control your opponent's battlefield. It's ramping so reliably, so many outs to anything your opponent does. And also, you just get to these points where you're like, oh, everything has kind of gone wrong. But here's a Tavalar's Huntmaster. Can you beat that? And the answer is no so many times. So it really is the perfect threat here because it's incredible to both hit with your Winota and just cast. It's very easy to cast, you know, turn four. And even in the Pioneer format, this is going to be a house. Yeah, Angrass Marauders might be a little bit more flashy and maybe like a slightly faster clock, but this thing is way more castable. And uh, I think in those instances where you are casting it, it has a much bigger impact on the game too. agree with you. And Rangers class, I I mean, again, so many pieces here are just so perfect. We have your 31 creature deck, uh, way to reload very easily. You get paid and get more human hits. I mean, the hits are perfect throughout. You get really meaningful stuff. I like this one of Duskwatch Recruiter too. I don't know that I've seen a ton of that card floating around, but that seems like a smart addition to me. And yeah, I, I continue to be impressed every time I see this deck. Yeah, I think it's good. Uh, it's hard for me to justify playing it when there are some other decks in the format that I, I'm like way more likely to gravitate towards, but I definitely respect it. That's that's smart. You don't want to leave home without respecting this deck. I would put it very high up on the list of public enemies. Right yeah, now. same. Uh, next deck, Dalyon 91, Boros Burn. Uh, to give you an idea of what we're working with in Pioneer, four Eidolon of the Great Revel, four Gitu Lava Runner, Monastery Swiss Spear, Soul Scar Mage, two Viachino Pyromancer, one Zergo Bell Striker, 
And I don't know, play with fire, Boros Charm, Lightning Strikes, Gear the Critics, Wizards Lightning, a couple spike field hazards. Pretty normal stuff. The creature base looks like you come up just short, so you have to kind of play some stinkers, but overall, deck is pretty powerful. Yeah, the stinkers get a lot better when they're being rebought by Luris, and that angle shouldn't be slept on. I have played against this deck probably more than any other because this was my wife's deck when she was learning magic and playing pioneer she was she was a boros burn player for the most part until she found mono green devotion which she loved even more but it just plays from positions of like seemingly dead and then oh no actually i'm the one who's dead it's very very good at finding the reach and i don't if you're expecting pioneer to be more like standard you will be shocked at how often this is just like all right eight you on your turn the game's over and that's really tough to adjust to. It makes every single plink from a Soulscar Mage and every single Eidolon of the Great Revel trigger, they add up so hard because you do have the efficiency of a spell like Boros Charm. And even Wizards Lightning, I think, being able to reach back to that one mana red burn spell. Really good. Yeah, solid deck. Uh, would be more willing to have some amount of like life gain type of stuff uh, just because of the presence of this and how popular it is and how kind of like level zero, easy to play it is, or easy to pick up too. And between this and like the eight elf Winota deck, it's like you kind of want to be playing a shock in this format, like a shock or a fatal push. Oh yeah. One mana removal is critical for this format. And so, some of the decks I don't love, it is almost entirely on the back of that problem. Okay. Yeah, I can see that. Next deck from Garmon Bozia. Ooh, only 60 cards. niv Reborn. Yeah, keeping it tight. Nim is it reborn? Three Omnath Locus of Creation, Bring to Light, uh, Sylvan Caryatid to ramp into them, a bunch of gold removal spells, a Celestis for Spice, because why not? Okay, so here's another deck, I think, in the Pioneer space that people just love. I think they love to cast Nim is it? Have you ever cast Nim is it? Oh, I have. Actually, in the Brawl for All, if you recall. I don't. I was that was a, that was a million years ago. <laughs> I was a Niv Mizzet main. I think the only match I won from you in the Brawl for All before we just canceled it without any warning was with Niv Mizzet. So I've cast it before. Extremely powerful, but this deck, uh, this has the problem. This is the deck that doesn't have the cheap interaction. So you need the format to be about some stuff. And if the format is about that stuff, I think Niv Mizzet is a great choice. There's a lot of people who I feel try to make it like square peg round hole type yeah. stuff where they, they're always trying to niv it. I don't think that's the role of this deck in Pioneer. I think you're supposed to pick your spots, find out when the metagame is good for niv it, and then it's extremely powerful at what it does, but some real holes. Agreed. It is fancy, though. Very fancy. A lot of gold cards. I love seeing Blood Baron of Viscopa in the side, but there's just like some some classics here, some old favorites you don't get to see all that often. Oh, I guess it's it's uh, Gigantha, so that's why it's 60. No no mm-hmm. Urian. Mm-hmm. All right, Batutina, legendary Magic Online grinder, playing my favorite deck. Arclight Phoenix, Thing in the Ice, some expressive iterations, some pieces of the puzzle, Consider, Ops, Lightning Axe, Couple different shock variants, galvanic iteration, two temporal trespass, two treasure crews, and rounding it out with some chart of courses. 
Yeah, that's the big move in recent times is the move towards temporal trespass plus galvanic iteration. My Phoenix experience in Pioneer predates this technology. What do you think about it, Gerald? Are you into this this setup or do you miss the dig through time, more treasure cruise stuff that we used to do here? I want to know the count of how many games were lost directly as a result of you having a trespass instead of a cruise. Just like question. Of, of all pioneer players ever. Like obviously the, the trespass iteration thing is powerful. And especially when you're, you're setting it up on a turn where you're returning like two or three arc lights is huge, or maybe like transforming your thing in the ice or whatever. But like yeah. the games where you are getting interacted with, that setup just seems so much worse to me than playing Cruz. And I'm also skeptical of the notion that like you need that setup to beat anyone compared to doing what you normally do. But that could be inexperienced talking. So I'm, I'm sure when I actually get to the format and play some games, I'll be able to figure that stuff out. Here's the thing that appeals to me about actually doing this with the temporal trespass stuff is I think galvanic iteration might just be good. Like, I, I think you might be very happy playing this for the reasons we're talking about. Again, like, you just have to interact quickly. Being able to make two removal spells on your third turn will come up a bunch. Yep. It'll be really important against the more aggressive decks. I am curious what you can do just playing Galvanic Iteration and, like, a Temporal Trespass. Like, maybe you don't have to go this hard and you could still play more Treasure Cruise because... Yep. Really nice combination with Treasure Cruise. Like drawing six is probably going to get the job done just as many times. So if Galvanic Iteration is just a real card, maybe we can get away from the Temporal Trespass stuff and just, you know, be a little bit more streamlined, keep things working the way they did previously. Uh, I think you also, by having more of the Delve stuff, so more Treasure Cruise, more dig through time and limited numbers. I think your sideboarded games become much better where I expect sideboarded games with this deck will be a little bit worse. Now, maybe the addition of Holebreaker Horror Plans cover that a little bit. Again, that's something new in my time since I've spent time around this Pioneer Phoenix deck. So I'm curious how that changes things. But on the whole, I agree with you. I think the Treasure Cruises are kind of indispensable, but I don't hate the iterations. So I want to sort of find a middle ground, I think. Yeah, I, I agree with everything you said. And I, th- I think playing one trespass, if iteration is good enough on its own, just so like, you know, you can dig for it in yeah. a situation where maybe you do need to find it or whatever. I think that that's fine. It's just like making it a core part of your game plan. I see how that's powerful. I just don't know that it actually translates to you winning more matches. That's a great point, too, is you, you do see so much of your deck with the Phoenix decks. So you see so much that like you get decked in some post board games, which yeah. is why they're playing Jace Wielder mysteries in the side. Correct. Correct. And that being the case, like if you need to set up that temporal trespass turn, you know, play one and one, play one iteration, one trespass and still max your treasure, treasure cruises out. And I sort of like that setup a little bit more. Yeah. Next deck is from Jereffy. We got some soul scar mages, monster, Swiss spears, favorite hoplites, Three Dreadhorde Arcanist, three 10th District Legionnaire, and then a lot of cards that are not very playable that target your creatures. Yeah, but when you do them in this context, they they sort of work. Deck very explosive. Here's our Dreadhorde Arcanist deck showing up, doing some stuff, getting to cast Boros Charm from the Graveyard, which is very cool. But this is just like, 
this is one of those things that can only exist when the card pool gets a little bigger, right? Because there's going to be redundancy in these one mana effects. So we're dealing with Ancestral Anger, which I think is maybe just a good card. Like th- there's a home for this somewhere and not only in these Bizarro decks, like this should see more play. Yeah, it's it's very solid. Yeah, and you combine that with our GURDS, we have our Reckless Rages for removal, it's a little odd we got away from Feather, but also we were handed Loris of the Dream Den. So right. there's a, a good incentive to go that way. And I think this is the the deck that you want to dismiss and then you play against it and it does some absurdly powerful things sometimes. How it lines up with the rest of the format, it's a little weird because I do think you are incentivized to do things like we're talking about, one mana removal spells, things like iteration into your one mana removal spell. So you're sort of forced as the... I mean, what do you call the featherless versions of this the red, white arcanist player to lean on your God's willing very hard. And you just don't have that many. So it, it's tough. I guess you have Boros Charm too for indestructible, but two mana is like a, a billion in this deck. So, yeah, uh, I mean, there's there's eight prowess creatures and seven uh, heroic creatures. But I, well, hold on. I guess 10th district is like fake heroic. Yes. Yeah. So I don't know. I, it, like to me, it's a heroic deck. It's not just prowess because... To me, that sounds like you're just like casting spells. And this deck is very much like I have to cast spells to target my creatures. So I, I yes. would just call this like a heroic deck. But Okay, that works. Whatever. You could convince me that the the correct build of this deck, even if you didn't have Luris, would be with no feathers and just being super lean. Okay. So I, I don't mind to see, you know, Luris in instead of Feather. And I think that Luris probably plays really well with what this deck is trying to do. Like I, I have... You know, some feather experience, a lot of heroic experience. And yeah. I can totally see the games play out where you play against the person, uh, the big jerk like me, who has uh, a bunch of shocks and whatever lightning axes in their deck, and you just like run out of gas. And then Luris just gets you to double reload, or like you get to play Luris with a God's Willing Up or something and uh, just run away from the game with it. So this, this setup looks good to me. Do you think there's a possibility that Feather is a sideboard card in this deck? Is there a matchup where you would want Feather where then you would, you know, lose Luris, right? Like it, that, That's what I'm trying. I mean, matchups where essentially you have to play the control role. So, like, you're trying to be the removal deck against, I don't know, Green Devotion is something that springs to mind, although not widely played at this point. You don't even have a ton of removal, though. It's just Reckless Rage. Reckless Rage, yeah. But when you have Feather, that's that's all you need, right? Like, you, you can then control a battlefield. Yeah, you just have to, like, rage them early, too. I guess, like, the, the Feather Arcanist interaction is still good, right? Yep. So, yeah, maybe maybe that is the way to do it, uh, if, if you needed that. But even then, I feel like you could just sideboard a couple extra removal spells and still be fine. Sure. Yeah, I think I like the idea of, just because it's something that doesn't get done a lot, like having companions in some games and not other games, it's very rare that people take that approach. And part of it is just because the companions are absurd, right? So I I get it. Uh, I do think it's somewhat unexplored territory, though. Yeah, for sure. It's it's rare to have a situation where, you know, like you you need a a creature in your sideboard so badly that your Kahira is turned off or whatever. Normally you can just get by with whatever the companion is telling you to do anyway. It's not really much of a drawback. No, fair. Next deck is another Boros deck from Gustavo Garcia. This one is way different. It is kind of a burn deck, but also has four Chandra, Torch of Defiance, and four Bonecrusher Giant. Also has four Spark Trooper and two Ajani Caller of the Pride. So this is just like a mirror breaker, right? Like this is designed to beat up all the other red decks, I would assume. 
I so I kind of think not. Like Spark Trooper for Connects is great, but the the burn decks also just have a ton of cards that just kill creatures, right? So if they just ever have mana open, your thing's probably never connecting. Uh, to me, so what do we what do we want the Spark Trooper for then? To me, this is a deck that is getting more mileage out of each of its cards. Like if you play the deck with a bunch of lightning bolts against a deck with a bunch of life gain, you're, you're just going to get ground out. Whereas this deck is like hitting harder with each individual thing that you're doing. So I think about like the, the Niv decks or like any sort of Omnath deck, anything with a bunch of life gain, this might be a burn deck that is a little bit stronger in those scenarios. It's, it's just so odd to me that spark trooper would be the choice then. Like I, I buy it for the vast majority of the rest of the setup. And it seems so weird that Spark Trooper is the answer. It is weird. It is weird. I, I definitely agree with that. Uh, I'm just trying to get inside the mind of the deck builder, you know, and because y- you don't just like add Spark Trooper to your deck on a whim, right? Yeah. I mean, it certainly seems like some portion of it is like a Johnny Caller of the Pride into Spark Trooper, which, yes, bravo. That looks that looks awesome. Uh, big swing. But I mean, how often are you really doing that? I don't know. Five times they five owed. So, okay, five times that's all you have to do, <laughs> it, I guess. 10 times, I don't know. Maybe you don't need it every match, but probably, probably once a match. Yeah, okay. Uh, next deck Citizen of Nerdvana, collected company teamer with stubborn denial and a couple spicy cards one Crater's yeah. Claws, one Amber Cleave, one Teamer Charm. How are you gonna do? Big knucks, dirty like that. Savage knuckle blade in this list, and you don't want to mention it. This card was so hyped when it was about to hit standard and did zero. Just a total, total failure. I I could talk about this for hours, having been on the the cons dev team. Mm. And where did you see this card? As uh, how how important did you believe this card would be in standard? Well. At various points, Teamer was our best deck, and then some of the cards got nerfed, and a lot of the other cards got buffed. And then Teamer ended up not being the best deck, and we knew that, and we we figured that it would, like, show up here and there, you know, because of the stuff that it's capable of doing. A lot of it was, like, is Stubborn Denial going to be good in the format? Because it was very much like this kind of, like, tempo-y burn deck. Yep. And uh, it turns out that... Even if you wanted to be a Tempo We Burn deck, you just play Thoughtseize and Siege Rhino anyway. Yeah, a lot got covered up by Siege Rhino for sure. And this card certainly does not match up well uh, without a large, large mana investment. So it, it's clear why it didn't quite pan out, but people were over the moon about this card in preview season. And I, I always smile a little bit when I see it show up later on in, in these older formats. And it has occasionally done so. Yeah, I like going back, I would almost certainly buff Knuckleblade because like once the other things got buffed, it's it it was a pretty solid like last place, I think. Very interesting. And when when you as like someone who worked in the development, I assume you're still keeping up with like the narrative of the community and seeing what people are how they're reacting. And I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, the excitement was there about this card. Yeah. Were you like, uh, I'm sorry, it's it's not gonna work out for you eventually? No, people thought it was good and I was like, oh, cool. You know, like I okay. like we we thought it was solid and a, a lot of it was just like the the package of things surrounding it, right? It's like, you know, are people going to figure out that like stubborn denial is actually awesome? And people were not very high on stubborn denial, 
but they they're just like, I'm going to play the knuckle blade regardless. And it's like, all right, hell yeah, do it, you know? Uh, but then, you know, everyone just really liked Mantis Rider and Siege Rhino and for good reason. So yep, made sense. Well, I am very high on Stubborn Denial. I think this type of archetype has been an important part of the format for quite some time, basically since its inception. You remember the start was like blue-green stuff, one of the most important decks, and looked very different in the first iterations, had Oko, and still, I, there, I think there will always be room in this format for big dummies backed up by Stubborn Denial. Yeah, and, and some removal spells and like ways to interact. And uh, this deck also has like the elves into Goblin Rabble Master, which is a huge clock. Yep, yep. elves into Steel Leaf Champion. Yeah. Oh, man, the, the teamer charm too. I could talk about the charms a lot. So what ended up being the most play charm? It was it was just Abzan charm, right? Was that just, you think, by virtue of its surrounding tools? Or do you think that was just above the rest of the charms? Like the, the removal spell is good in the deck. And it also wanted like the read the bones type of thing. So yeah. I, I think that that made sense. Where it was like, you can just play four of this and you don't really get punished. And it wasn't really the case with a lot of the other charms. But right. like... The, the charms just went through like so many different iterations. It was, it was interesting because it was just like, all right, well now, you know, my deck definitely wants to play like four of this charm or whatever. So like, maybe it's a little too good and maybe this ability should be something else or like, Oh, we want this disenchant for this charm or whatever. And you know, it's, there's just like so many moving pieces and a lot of things changed like very rapidly. Interesting. Uh, this isn't the end for cons in this deck dump, another con centric oh deck coming up. And I'm, I'm curious to hear your thoughts on that one. It's only a few away. All right. Temporan. Absan, humans, four collected company, 22 land, 34 creatures. Love making those collected companies hit as often as possible. Creatures are good now. I mean, the, the mix of humans here, very solid. We've seen this deck do work in the historic space. Same principles, I would say. Certainly different parts and we don't have the redundancy of our collected company effects that we get in historic now, but still this is a deck that feels underrepresented at this moment. Like I think humans is supposed to do more in the format and will be a more important part as time goes on, as it almost certainly has to be as you make more and more humans. Yeah. Deck looks solid to me. I do think that there are kind of some stinkers in here, but you just kind of do what you got to do. And 34 creatures is certainly high. Like if it wanted to play some spells, it could. Yeah. Get a couple in there, maybe uh, a cheap removal spell or two could be the difference maker. Uh, Sunset Revelry in the sideboard, which I I think is interesting. It's a bad sign if you have to go that far. If you can't find answers within your your human suite to the more aggressive decks, I'm a little concerned about your viability. So maybe that's the missing piece. They just need a a good, resilient human to put in the way of the aggressive red creatures. Well, yeah, the sideboard's kind of weird too because it's like two Sun Gold Sentinel, three Seasoned Hollow Blade, like feel like you can do better than that it's it certainly seems like it but i also if you ask me to name the most viable humans in pioneer i would have a very hard time coming up with a, a good list of them yeah but you can play some spells because again you you have 34 creatures made so not not all of your sideboard cards have to be creatures disagree but go on <laughs> all right uh harry 13 i think with- some of your land should be creatures too for what it's worth but Continue. Fair. All right. Harry 13 with four color uh, Jeskai Ascendancy Sylvan Awakening combo. And you set up with Sylvan Karyatid, Paradise Druid. 
You have some cheap cantrips to trigger your Jeskai Ascendancy, consider an opt. Uh, card drawing in expressive iteration, treasure cruise to uh, kind of like keep the chain going. Got some chain to the rocks for early removal spells. Love the chain to the rocks and uh, triome interaction. Yep. Yep. And sometimes this deck plays like Omnath and stuff like that. I, I generally like that, but recognize that there's a time and a place for it. You know, it's not necessarily good in every metagame. Yeah, I think this may be Dom Harvey's list. Dom just won uh, Pioneer PTQ with Jeskai Ascendancy combo. I thought his list was different, but I can check. because it, It's I, possible. I, I, I know one of the things he did was leave the Omnaths at home. No, he so. had he had the, the three-drop creature instead of Paradise Druid. That is correct, yes. What, what is that creature even called? I don't remember. I want to say Dauntless Escort, but that's not it. No, that's not it. That That is one G-dub, three, three, sack. All your things get indestructible. Yeah, for um, Shards of Alara. Yeah, I'm okay. on it. Kazandu, wait. Fayboro Elder. Thank you, Fayboro Elder. Any other differences while you have the deck open? Uh, portable Hole instead of yep, I Chain like of that. Rocks. Yeah, I, I, I like Portable Hole. One Tomio, fourth copy of Sylvan Awakening in Dom's list also. Okay. Yeah, so regardless of the specifics, I think Jeskai Ascendancy has been floating around this format for a long time. I'm pretty sure people were like concerned about it at one point, or maybe I'm maybe I'm dating myself and I'm going back as far as modern, where people were concerned about Jeskai Ascendancy. Was that was that a real modern deck for a while? I don't I don't was- hear too much about like the the pioneer chatter, but when this deck popped up, I definitely tuned into some streams at some point, and it was like if people were concerned about it, it would have shocked me because it, there there were just games where it was like so clunky and didn't do anything and like easily got ran over. It's like I find it hard to believe that this deck would cause concern at any point. Okay. Yeah. So maybe I'm, I'm going back to the modern format, but what do you think about the state that the deck is in now? I mean, I, I love the idea of playing a combo deck with these eight blue cantrips. And again, redundancy rears its head in the pioneer format. When the card pool gets large, you'll often be able to get multiple copies of the same effect. And we see it with Elvish Mystic, Land of War Elves all the time. Eight blue one mana filtering things is the kind of setup that I think a bunch of decks are going to start being built around now that we have access to consider dude you don't have to do too much work to convince me i should play consider opt and treasure cruise and uh you know expressive iteration for for funsies sure yeah a lot of glue there the rest of this deck i could take or leave i don't i don't really care what's in the rest of it so so we sold you on 16 of the cards and then you can slot pretty much anything you want around them and your deck will probably be Decent. Probably, but this setup is still good because, you know, Ascendancy enchantments are difficult to interact with and is not a card type that people are like overly hating in Mm -hmm. in their sideboards. Plus, if you do overly hate on the Jeskai Ascendancy stuff, you could just get ground out by like some spot removal or card drawing or Omnath or whatever. Yeah. So uh, this setup is pretty good. I do think that it's maybe a, a little bit too slow, a little bit too clunky for pioneer at least to be like you know top tier but Mm -hmm. is is a solid deck and definitely fun as hell yeah yeah i said in the beginning of the show like you're going to see all types of decks and i've often come out against like combos and that maybe makes it seem like i'm anti-combo in the game that's not true at all i just think there has to be like a burden on a combo it should be challenging to execute a combo there should be points of interaction for combos. This deck does all of those things, presents all of those things, and I think that its existence in the format is a huge net positive. The fact that there's combo, there's control, 
aggro, all the different forms of magic are here, and I'm happy to see it. Yeah, I agree with that. I think that Jeskai Ascendancy in general is not a great ambassador for the types of combo decks that should exist. And I, I think a lot of the same could be said for like the Lotus Field combo decks, where it's just like you take a 10 minute turn and that's that's kind of bullshit. But uh, compare that to like Emergent Ultimatum or whatever the ultimatum was, the Sultai Ultimatum in Standard. Where it's like, yeah. that, that's basically a combo deck, but it's like a one card I win. It's like, I like the gameplay against that better, even if like, you know, that deck's card was maybe like a mana too cheap and uh, was like a little oppressive or whatever, you know. Uh, I generally like those combo decks better. I agree in terms of like the actual process of winning the game. I prefer things work that way. In terms of points of interaction, though, I have to give it to Jeskai Ascendancy because they have to basically have their thing on the battlefield. And granted, like they use Sylvan carry at it a lot of the time so it's it's hex proof it's difficult to interact with but you can if you want to work hard at it right and i played i played self-inflicted wound in like my my sure. model black aggro deck sideboard you know yep and and then just ascendancy itself is interact with a bull and i just think there's multiple points of failure and that's the way a combo deck should be presented yeah i i, I guess it should be noted too that like this one isn't necessarily that bad because you have sylvan awakening for like a clean kill so True. it's not as bad as the lotus field deck and Lotus Field itself is tough to interact with. So uh, overall, like definitely more points for Jeskai Ascendancy existing than Lotus Field. With you. All right. Next up, Oddly Uneven, another Humans Collected Company deck. This one is just green and white, although the same kind of setup, 23 land, four Collected Company, 33 creatures. Yeah. And I guess like the draw is is Mutavolt. Do we have Mutavolts in our other list? I'd assume no. No, because no, they were, they're not. doing like Blood Soak Champion, Kite Sail Freebooter, General Kudrow yeah. stuff. Uh, in the dark, I think I'll take the Mutavolts. Yeah, I, I think that's real. worth it. So, I, I mean, you know, I don't have a lot of experience with these lists. I could be wrong. But just if you ask my snap opinion, I'm going Mutavolt. Well, I mean, even look at this deck, right? It's, it's not playing any bad cards. You're mm-hmm. playing you're playing Thraben Inspector, an extra copy of Kithian, some Giant Killers, I think both decks had Dauntless Bodyguard. This one has like a third Adeline instead of Kudro. It's just like, this deck is, it still just like looks good. And you get Mutavolt on top of it. So uh, I I don't see why you wouldn't. Yeah, if I'm stretching to black, there's got to be some very specific things I'm hoping to accomplish with it. And I didn't quite see them, so. Yeah, maybe if that deck wanted Thoughtseize in the sideboard or something, like it was like, oh, you know, I need this point of interaction against the combo decks because I only have Thalia or whatever. Like, okay, cool. I get that. Yeah. Uh, solid deck. Uh, Silas Bellerin, Demir Control, uh, four Narset, three Shark Typhoon, one Hullbreaker Horror, a bunch of like counter spells and removal spells, and uh, some card drawing. A main deck, Grafdigger's Cage. In Historic, I generally like the idea of that. I'm less sold on it in Pioneer because it, it does, still doesn't solve like the Treasure Cruise issue. Right. So quite familiar with this deck. My my brother actually played uh, blue-black control into the top eight of a showcase a few weeks ago, and I, I watched most of his top eight. And the deck is just heinous until you cast Dig Through Time, and then it answers a bunch of your problems. So if, if this deck is going to be a big player, I, I wish it was better at setting up Dig Through Time, at casting it reliably, at converting that into better positions it mostly wasn't when i was watching it this was like just after hullbreaker horror came out and he actually wasn't playing any copies and one of the first things i said was 
you need Hallbreaker horror. It seems like a big difference maker. So having just even that one in the setup is appealing to me, but this deck has a hard time justifying itself unless it's dig through times are very good. And I don't think this is there yet. I don't want to spend too much time on it, but like, have you looked at this deck's mana base? No. It is fascinating. Right, well, now I have to look at it. I don't know. Just like, yes or no, you agree with me. That's that's all I'm looking for. I I agree. There are three Clearwater Pathway, three Drowned Catacomb, three Fable Passage, two Field of Ruin, a Gyre Reach Sanitarium, one Hive of the Eye Tyrant, three Island, two Shipwreck Marsh, two Swamp, four Watery Grave, and a Blast Zone. So like there's there's a lot of push-pull with like Watery Grave, Basics, Drowned Catacomb. Yeah. But there's also like a lot of different dual lands. There's three different, well, four, I guess, if you count the creature land, four different utility lands. And it's just like, I don't even know how I would build this mana base. You know, nope. like the, and, I, and I don't know if this version is brilliant or garbage. I have no idea. Yeah. Three Drowned Catacomb, two Shipwreck Marsh. Is is that correct? My, so the thing that made me initially look at the mana base was two Shipwreck Marsh caught my eye. And I was like, that seems like a weird number for like a control deck. But like, I, I guess, you know, if you're trying to interact in the first couple turns, you want your mana to all ETB untapped. Like, I get that. But it just seems like the best land going long. And Drowned Catacombs is like maybe slightly better because you can, in theory, play it untapped on turn two. But like, if that's the case, when you want like four and only one more, you know? Yep. It's just, yeah. it's wild. I, I don't know where I would settle on this one. And two-color deck with only three pathways. It's like, I, I mean, I guess you need Fable Passages and whatever to facilitate yeah. the Drowned Catacombs. Yeah, you need, you need your slots and you need, enough, you need enough basics for Field of Ruin and the Fable oh, Passage. Yeah. So, I mean, it's just like so many things to consider. Two Graveyard Trespasser on the sideboard, so I hate it. Okay, now you're off it. Next you're, deck. You're on board with the deck until then. Uh, no, I, I still wasn't on board with the deck. Next deck is from Wakasama Mono Red. Bone Crusher Giant, Cemetery Gatekeeper, Eidolon of the Great Revel, Goblin Chain Whirler, Monastery Swiss Spear, Soul Scar Mage, Play with Fire, Lightning Strike, Chandra, Torch of Defiance, 23 land, and a Chandra Dress to Kill. I love Chandra Dress to Kill, and there's so many one drops. Play more of it. Card seems good here. A uh, lot of damage pulled out of your mana base here, and I think that's the draw with just going hard red. So if you're playing against a bunch of, I don't like pure control, I think this is a really nice place to be. And you have some longevity, too, with the addition of the multiple Chandras. So a fine take on red. I have no objections to it. Yeah, I love I love like a medium red deck, like the, the Hazard style red decks where you're you're definitely an aggro deck in most matchups. But then you play against a creature deck and you're like, well, I'm going to like, you know, stomp your thing and chain whirler you and like planeswalker yep. you and find those two for ones and make right. it happen. Yeah. So I, I love this take. I wonder how good. Cemetery Gatekeeper is in general because it, it seems like a card that could be fine in a lot of formats and there's like a little bit more graveyard interaction or like, you know, people trying to do stuff with their graveyard in Pioneer yep. just like in a light way. Like you pointed out the Trespasser nabbing an Arclight Phoenix, for example, like that this card can obviously do that too. So uh, it seems like it could be good and then maybe uh, also beat up on the Ascendancy decks a little. Yeah, I think that's what's motivating a lot of this behavior is just Phoenix and people wanting to account for it. So one way to do it for sure. Saitama, Azorius Control, 26 land. Uh, wind conditions are three Shark Typhoon, three Teferi, Hero of Dominaria, if you hate yourself. Has a couple Narsets, one Search for Iskanta, a Commit to Memory, one Dig Through Time, two Memory Deluge for uh, card drawing, consider to fuel the Delve stuff. 
Supreme Verdict portable hole, normal stuff. Yeah, nothing too flashy here. Just uh, wisely included double Castle Vantress. So that, no! should, that should deal in it with Dude. any problems. Oh, yeah. That- okay, so two Castle Ardenvale for win conditions too if you you know hate yourself slightly less than the Teferi. Yeah, uh, this deck is fine. How do you- I... I- how do you Go take ahead. how do you take a mana base that's like obviously very similar to the Demir one, right? Where you're mm-hmm. like, ooh, I gotta balance all these fancy lands, and then you're just like Castle Vantress and get. <laughs> uh, I, I I don't know, but that's what we're doing here, and I wonder how often it matters. Probably not all that often, but we have Teferi, Hero of Dominaria. You see, so we can untap the Castle Vantress. Dude, shut up. <laughs> I think that might be the first shut up I've earned from you on this <laughs> podcast. After all of my badgering, finally, this was what broke you. I mean, it's like the maybe maybe not the 10th time on the podcast, but it's definitely like the 10th time you've said that shit to me. <laughs> and I'm sick of it. All right. I understand. There's only so much I can push on you before you just finally snap. Uh, this deck also has a Kahira. Yeah. Wait. If if so, you can do it. Dude, you found it. Okay, so this deck has two oh, Dream yeah, Trawlers. Dream Trawler. Yeah, nice. Right. So this person is doing the thing where if they want the Dream Trawler, they give up on the Kahira. Yeah. All right, who cares? Next deck. Fatted. <laughs> or that Ted. <laughs> I guess that makes more sense. Jund. Food. Some Mayhem Devils. Some Corvolds. Trail of Crumbs. Two Bolas of Citadel. So not a ton of that. Four Deadly Disputes. Love everything about it. Hate, I- it, hate everything about it. Okay, tell me why. This this deck is just two years old at this point. But it doesn't matter. It's it's still absurd. And like it still interacts very well. It's still I guess it's one flaw is like I don't think it does very well with the combo that exists in Pioneer. And Pioneer is a format that has some more pure combo than most. So that's troubling. But when the format is about creatures, how could you do better than this? Very easily play the big mono red deck. No, you can't tell me that Big Mono Red outpaces the Mayhem Devil Cauldron Familiar Witches Oven deck. I mean, it's just a combination known to completely blunt creatures and their effect on the game. Yeah, on turn four. you need. To, you, we've already established that you need to interact before that. Yes, this deck you has have, four, you fatal have four fatal push. Yes, but that is it. And then the rest of the game is like you trying to set up to a point where maybe you can stabilize and... You're just leaning on Mayhem Devil, but also having everything else set up with it's just too much, man. You know what's funny is I, I actually had this revelation while I was playing Team Fight Tactics the other day because I play that game the exact same way I play Magic. I have no interest in micromanaging things and like eking out tiny percentage points and just like making these split second decisions to get this last little bit of equity. I want to assemble something that outscales anything my opponent can do and completely control the game from that point. And I will figure out perfection in the turns leading up to assembling my thing because I know at that point my thing takes over. And I sort of play (laughs) Teamfight Tactics the exact same way where I don't want to deal with all the micro stuff. I just want to crush my opponent so badly that there's nothing they can do because I did the early thing so well. And This deck does that. That's fine when we're talking about standard and everything is a lot slower. Mm -hmm. And in the case of pioneer, that's not true, man. I'll just slap some thoughtsies in the main deck. I'll interact a little more and we'll figure it out. Yeah. That's fine. As we go. It is worth noting that this deck only has two thoughtsies in the sideboard. They have four go blank instead. Yeah. 
I, I get it. I mean, go blank again, an important card in the format. But if, if this were me, I, because of the style I play, I would have more thoughtsies. Word. Vi K Cola. Beautiful. Vampires. Orza variety. Four thoughtsies, three fatal push, six Sorens. So many Sorens. Uh, four Imperious Bloodlord, two Mirthless. 22 vampire creatures. We now have Edgar Charmed Groom as a non-embarrassing thing to put in with uh, Imperious Bloodlord. So that's cool. Also just like a fine card. And yeah, I don't know. Dusk Legion Zealot, Knight of the Ebon Legion, Gifted Etherborns, like good setup stuff. I like this deck. Yeah, I've been lower on Edgar in like the standard realm where people just use it as a value card. But as a lord and as a creature that can benefit from like all the stuff you have going on in the vampire deck. I really like it. I, I think it's a big get here and vampires not having its best days as of late. I don't know if Edgar's enough to sort of revitalize the archetype, but I like a lot of what's going on here. We also have a Voldar in estate in the mana base now. So you get a little bit of extra filtering, which you will certainly be able to turn on again in your hard vampires deck. So uh, maybe some subtle pickups for the pioneer format with our most recent trip to Innistrad and maybe it's time for vampires to get back in the mix. Well, I, I will say that uh, similarly to the the Jun food decks, it's possible that the format has kind of passed it by. But you do get to like play Thoughtseize and Fatal Push, and are relatively happy about it. So, yep. and and Soren remains a hell of a magic card. Yes, like that's that's not going to change at any point. That's so definitely if you can true find too. A good setup around it's that. it's one of the few sources of like potential life gain that you can use too. Yeah, very true. Next deck, Settling Lotus Field combo. Uh, two emergent ultimatums, so we get like the best of both worlds, uh, hidden strings, all that jazz. So I don't have a lot to say about any specifics here. Just what what do you think about this particular version of combo existing in the format? Are you do you view it as a net positive, net negative? Let's kind of let's let's put aside the long length of turn for the time being. I know that's an important. Uh, part of yeah, equation. I mean that's that's part of it, man. I don't I don't know if you can. No, I. So here's the thing. I, I think this is like a showpiece for weird things that magic can do. And this goes back to like, this should be the intro format because magic's appeal is very different to many people. And being able to do this type of weird mathy stuff, I think is really, really important. I think about, again, I'm going to talk about another game, my experience with the game Monster Train. If you haven't played Monster Train, really great Slade the Spire-esque type game. I was obsessed with it for a brief period. Haven't played it much in a long time, but in a, in a moment, I was all about that game. And I realized at that moment, the thing that really sold me on it was when I was able to put together things that just spiraled out of control in terms of their scope and really strong combo things that don't make a lot of sense abstractly with the way the game is typically played. That was exciting to me. So I think all magic should have some form of that. I don't think it should often be the very best thing. And I think, like I said, I want points of interactability, but... Uh, to me, Lotus Field is sort of flirting right on the edge of something I want in the game and something I don't. If the option was this or nothing like it, I would take this. Okay. We do have things like Alpine Moon to interact. You can also like fight the graveyard or fight them with like Campbells and Thalias and stuff like that. Like there's interaction. It's just light. You really have to kind of like work for it, you know? So it's not, it's not that bad. I do think it's, Kind of miserable, but it's not like eggs miserable. Uh, I think mm-hmm. it's the game is over much sooner than than that. And I don't know, like cards like Peer into the Abyss certainly made that 
more palatable where it's more likely like the game just ends. So yeah. it's it's getting to a better place. And I agree that something like this should exist. I just think that like ascendancy is probably like a healthier version of it. Or, you know, this would be fine if there was a little bit more maybe like non-basic land hate or something. Yeah. The other point I'll make is that this deck, your kills become deterministic pretty quickly. So it's just a question of like knowledge. Yeah. Like does your opponent know that? Yes. That is that is the problem with it. So at a high level, I think this is probably a fine inclusion as things get to more like if this is the FNM format, it becomes more problematic. Correct. Next deck, Season Herb, 19 Snow-Covered Islands, 3 Faceless Havens, 4 Curious Obsessions, uh, 7 Random Counterspells, and 27 Spirits. I think this is cool. I will not put in a vote about how good it is. I like that it's something you can do. And I've seen a bunch of spirits floating around the Pioneer format. And the more traditional spirits list isn't represented in this deck dump, but it was... Uh, extremely popular at SCGCon a few months ago when they had the Pioneer PTQ. A lot of people playing that deck, and it, it looks solid. But something like this is cool for the fact that it's unlike any other deck. Again, a really nice exploration of how many things are possible in the Pioneer format. I just appreciate that you can do this stuff. Same. I, I think this is cool. I appreciate... Like, what, what's what's the word where you just kind of, like, go back to basics or whatever? You know, it's like you could play the fancy like band version or whatever, but this one is it's it's this one's not even necessarily like streamlined or whatever, right? But it's just like simpler, and I appreciate that. I uh, I stopped listening because I'm just like sitting here trying to think of the perfect word to sum up the back to basics approach, and it's not coming to me. So uh, you've ruined my participation for the rest of the podcast as I try and come up with this. You know what but, I'm talking um, about, though, right? I do. I, there's like a word that yeah. means it. And, and everyone listening is just sitting in their car screaming it at their car stereo <laughs> right now. It's like watching a game show or whatever. And it's just like, it's, yes, it's that you idiot. An ah. easily solvable wheel of fortune puzzle. Is right. What we have yeah. Right yeah. Now. Yeah. But yeah, I'll just, we'll just move on to the next deck. Final deck. L A A one, one. I'm not convinced that this deck is anywhere remotely playable, but it's cool as hell. Rakdos. Uh, Deadly Dispute, Fatal Push, Claim Fame, Thoughtseize, four copies of Archfiend's Vessel, Blood Tithe Harvester, Voldaren Epicure, Crocs of the Titan of Death's Hunger, and you know some other crap. But like this setup for Rakdos, where you're Claim Faming like Blood Tithe Harvester, that was kind of the card I was looking for in the other version, where it's like, oh yeah, I guess you could use that with Claim Fame as like your removal spell, and that would be kind of cool. And yep. Uh, you have Claim Fame for the Vessel. This one plays Epicure to maybe like scale up the Harvesters a little bit more. There's also a copy of Fiery Temper that you can get Frisky with off of your Blood Token, which you love to yep. see. Yep. And- a little bit of Reach, too. I, I mean, I, I wouldn't count that out either. I think just having access to it with your very versatile reanimation spell is going to be a big deal in a lot of spots. Yeah. Uh, I mean, Fame represents some burst damage. Epicure does a little bit of chip. Croxa is obviously like going to do a little bit of chip damage, too. So... Having more reach is, is definitely helpful. Definitely, uh, maybe not necessary, but it's good. Very cool approach. I, I wonder about Deadly Dispute versus Village Rights. Like, do you really make good usage of the treasure token, or do you need to be as absolutely super lean as possible with this deck because you are you're just not playing good cards? Like, you need to get the, the max out of absolutely everything you do? Well, you don't have Dreadhorde Arcanist. So it's not like you necessarily need the one mana card. 
And you I've, could. I've, 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 you could, yeah. And if you do, then probably make that change. But like the, the thing that I've, I've been thinking about is like, how often is dispute actually worse than village rights? Because it is effectively a one mana card, right? Like mm-hmm. you, you get the mana back. So it's just like, are, are there turns where it's the thing that you do with like your last remaining mana or does it, does it matter at all? And like this deck has Vessel and Epicure to play on one, which sets up into Deadly Dispute on turn two. And then you get to do whatever on turn three. And like, do you need it? Are you curving into a four drop? No, but like, it just means that you can double or triple spell, which is cool. And is Deadly Dispute ever going to be worse than Village Rites in this deck? And I'm, I guess like Crocs on turn three is like a good representation of like when it might be worse. Yeah, the the other point I was coming up with was like Arcfiend Vessel, and your village rights on the same turn, so turn two. Assuming like the first one got answered on turn one, otherwise you could just do the same thing with Deadly Dispute. But the assumption is like it shouldn't always survive through the first turn. Although Vessel is a pretty mopey card, really shouldn't draw out your opponent's ire all that often. Well, but it cur- it curves into claim into fame on turn three with that setup. Yeah. Well, I mean, both of them do, right? If you if both you could- of them do, yes. If if you go one drop. Deadly dispute, claim fame, you're fine. Yeah, uh, I guess. I guess you could also just. Well, no, that doesn't quite work. I don't. I don't know. I I would have to play games with the deck to find spots where it didn't work. But you do like need to go to four mana sometimes for your Croxes, and you're a twenty two land deck, and you know you're trying to get a little value out of your mana base with like your Castle Lockdwains, your Den of the Bugbears. So maybe there just are enough homes for that deadly dispute mana to take advantage of it. Yeah, I, I just look at it like they, they effectively both cost one in a lot of instances. So mm-hmm. are there instances where Deadly Dispute does not cost one and is it going to mess you up? And Crocs is a big one, I think. Or if you are playing against like Flame Bless Bolt and you want to protect your thing, like, yeah, then yep. it's a little bit more awkward to like try and slow play or Archfiend's Vessel or whatever. But just run it out there, dude. Who cares? It can die. I agree. I agree. You made the decision to play Arcfiend's Vessel in your your deck. You're willing to live with some splash damage. Just let it happen. Yeah, no big deal. You'll find another one or something equally as crappy Luris, to sacrifice. Lurus, it's fine. Everything will come together eventually. Yeah. Cool deck, though. I, I really do think it's very cool. Yeah, it, it's cool. It's innovative. Uh, it's utilizing some cards that are new also, yep. which you love to see. Yeah. I, again, another huge point in favor of Pioneer. The fact that you can do that in this format is it's big. These vampires mattered there in some instances more than they mattered in standard. So, yeah, I mean, it means that you could potentially like power up uh, the standard level sets too if you wanted to. If there was no actual standard, I agree, and I I think that matters, and I think they were kind of doing that anyway, and it sold a bunch of cards, and I don't I don't know. We could do a whole show on why I think it's time for paper standard to die, and I would be villainized because a lot of people hate that idea and if you look maybe at history that it's a bad idea if you look at history basically like every rotating format has eventually died yeah there's there's a reason for that and when i went and discovered a new game and i was playing flesh and blood and their classic constructed format doesn't rotate i was just like well yeah this this makes sense thank you i'm happy for this i mean it's, i build it's good i build when these you decks they sets. last it's good when you have three sets but then like something else has to change and like so th- i'm not gonna get into the specifics of it there's their system is set up in such a way that it naturally changes your your criticism is fair but they are well set up to deal with the criticism okay also you know there are counterpoints for like hearthstone and and shadowverse and games like that where it's like they they do eventually rotate stuff and 
I, I think it's, I don't know, like it's basically like they're only offering, right? So it's not necessarily a good counterexample to Magic and why those formats have failed because Magic has eventually had more sets and more like wider card pools and different things to offer. Whereas like a, yep. a burgeoning game may not have that. Very true. I think this is another, this dichotomy of like standard has to keep existing, but there's no like real home for competitive play anymore. And there's no standard circuits and no real reason for it to keep existing. It's another instance of, I think wizards kind of talking out of both sides of its mouth at once. And I don't even think it's intentional, but you simultaneously say like, these are not the people that we're trying to sell magic to anymore. Like we are trying to take advantage of this player base. The more casual goes to F and M once in a while plays a bunch of commander. I, I don't think it's at all a coincidence that commander seized upon that market because it's a non rotating format and your purchases can matter. And if you really do, if that is really the players you care about, and you know you see whatever you see the online space or even you only see alchemy as the playground of the most enfranchised then split it up and serve your player bases and make it clear which of your offerings are for whom and right now standard is trying to serve a lot of masters and it doesn't do any of them well in my opinion to be fair though i i think that if they did that right now, it was just like we wake up tomorrow and they're just oh, like, oh, we everyone would be outraged. No, yes. well, yeah, it's, it's, it's a bad idea to do it now. It's like there needs to be different infrastructure in place in order to yep. do that and phase it out. But, you know, if you start making steps towards that, you could absolutely do it. Yeah, I, I agree with you. This is more of a long-term vision than like I think it should happen right now. But if, you know, they don't do a lot of things with long-term setup and long-term vision, they just kind of make things happen. True. So if they, they did it at the time of the alchemy announcement – sure there would have been a lot of outrage and I'm sure we would have adjusted to it. And I, I think actually magic would have been better for it had it been done at that point. Yeah, maybe. I, I think uh, like Pioneer would have to already be on Arena at that point, I think. Just so that there's like a supported format on Arena that is basically the standard replacement for real life, even though, you know, real life is not super popular right now. I don't know. But, I don't know if that matters anymore. Yeah, whatever. I really don't. But nobody knows. Nobody knows. We'll, we'll all try and figure it out the best we can. I, I have figured out I like Pioneer. That's the one thing I know for sure. How about a favorite deck, Gerald? Do you, did you have a favorite deck that Phoenix. we went through today? Yeah, that's that's a good choice. That is very much right up your alley. I think for my part, my favorite deck is one that does not exist yet. I think I could find something in the Rakdos space that I would be very happy playing. It would be reminiscent of historic... Uh, Dreadhorde Arcanist decks, and you, we see bits and pieces of it, flashes of it in this deck dump, but I think that space is destined to be one of the strong points of this format, and I want to put it together, I want to play it, I want everyone to play more Pioneer and enjoy this very cool format. You, if you tell me that I can't play Phoenix, I will also be very happy playing a, a slightly more mid-range creature deck. And, you know, like, I, I got second or like scoop the finals in a pioneer PTQ with mono black with smuggler sculptor and yep. You know, like that sort of style or the red deck that we talked about that was like bone crusher Chandra. That stuff is tight. I like that. I agree with you. Lots of love in this format. Uh, just not graveyard trespasser. No loves that card. game.
Good luck.